We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson here, and we are getting ready to preview Super Bowl 56, Sam. How's it going out there in I'm LA? It's a good game. <laughs> it's going good. It's, it's yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's going Super good. Bowl. I'm, uh, I'm back in the, you know, the exposed position. Could be whacked at any moment, but let's go. Let's talk the game. All right, we'll be quick and efficient just to, for, you know, for your mm-hmm. protection. Plus, I know it's cold over there. But it's a very special episode because I see you've uh, you've tracked down a few folks for uh, some pre-recorded interviews. So we have John Johnson III of the Cleveland Browns, Marlon Humphrey of the Baltimore Ravens, and Amani Oruwarie of the Detroit Lions. You got all the uh, the defensive backs for some for some quick yeah, interviews. Yeah, apparently huh? it was DB Day in uh, on Radio Row. The doctor Eric Eager jumped in, helped me interview a couple of these guys. We got some really interesting uh, answers from them. Marlon Humphrey talking about uh, John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens and how smart that organization is and all the kind of things they do. And then also um, John Johnson explaining what the hell went wrong in Cleveland with OBJ and Baker Mayfield and you know what to expect going forward. I will be tuning into that because I haven't heard it yet. I'm excited, just like our listeners will be listening to that uh, right after we're done here previewing the Super Bowl. Have you found Bobby Wagner no, yet? No, haven't seen Bobby, but there's always today and tomorrow, in fact. There's two more days that he could be wandering around here and we could snag him. Who knows? It, so if you do get him, we will drop an emergency podcast, Bobby Wagner only. I think that's the rule. Is there any chance we're going to get uh, a few other folks to uh, to drop an extra show here? Is there... You know, could that be in the Never cards? say never, but right now I think we're going to just stick with this show and we'll see how it goes. All right, good. Uh, so we're going to preview the show, but don't forget the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Sam, we're going to be, it's going to be quick. Uh, Four-hour game mm-hmm. preview here is what I anticipate. Only one game to discuss, and then we'll get to all of your interviews. So it's Bengals, it's Rams, 
uh, at the beginning of the season, if you said, hey, it's going to be Bengals-Rams, you'd say, hey, you know, the Rams, you know, they're, they're, they're going for this. It, it wouldn't be that surprising, but obviously the Bengals, one of the biggest long shots in the preseason. Joe Burrow has taken that step towards superstardom, as has Jamar Chase. So here we are, Bengals-Rams this week. First off, what's, what is the buzz like out there in L.A.? What is the talk? Is it just all Rams defensive line? I mean, what what are people discussing about this game well i mean i think everyone i've spoken to is kind of of the the same opinion that this is a game that the rams should win right they're the better team um they have the biggest advantage uh sort of individually or or unit wise with that aaron donald versus the weaknesses of the cincinnati offensive line um it's a game that should go their way but you can kind of say the same thing but the last two or three games, the Bengals have been in, right? It, it, they've been overachieving. They've been winning these games that they've been underdogs in uh, for a while now. And at that point, all it takes is one more. And we've talked, you know, a, we've talked a lot before on this podcast about how sometimes these runs go that way, where things are inevitably going to regress. They're going to go back to being to, towards the mean, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen next game. It might happen the first sort of real break in action, i.e. when a season ends, you know, that, 2009 Brett Favre season everyone knew that was kind of unsustainable and was never going to happen and repeat but it lasted all the way through uh you know to the the final throw in that NFC championship game and then 2010 was when it it completely regressed in the mean and he wasn't the same guy anymore so I think that's that's the sort of pervasive feeling here on Radio Row is that everybody feels that this is a game that the Rams are favorites in they should be favorites in but the way the Bengals are playing with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase they're, they're very much uh, for real as a threat. We've also seen 55 other Super Bowls here in history, and we know it's not just the favorites. Crazy stuff happens. Uh, you know, legends will be made. Great plays will be made by players that we just don't expect. Uh, let's start with the Bengals uh, when they have the ball, because I do think the the Rams defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line is, is certainly one of the biggest matchups. Last week, or you know, the last uh, during the championship week, we were talking about this. The, the Bengals were coming off of a game where they were sacked nine times against the Titans, and it's not like the Chiefs' defensive front is that much worse than the Titans. I know that's going to sound crazy to people because the Titans have all these sacks this year, and there's perception that Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry and Bud Dupree are this unblockable bunch. But the Chiefs had you know Chris Jones and Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram. They have their guys, and the Bengals still survived up front. But I do think this Rams defense is the best the Bengals have faced on this entire run, from from front to back. So how are they going to handle Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, who's right now our highest-graded defender in the playoffs? How are the Bengals going to slow these guys Yeah, down? I mean, that to me is is the, the biggest thing in this game. Like, even forget the the overall quality of the front, just the individual that is is potentially going to line up across from Cincinnati's biggest weakness, which is that right guard spot, whether it's uh, Hakeem Adeniji, whether it's Jackson Carmen, whoever it is there, that's the big weak link on that Bengals offensive line. When you look at the sort of sacks that Joe Burrow took against the Titans, so many of them were just that guy getting wrecked and immediately Jeffrey Simmons is in his lap. Same thing with Chris Jones when he ran through those guys. Like, that's the problem spot. And <clears throat> I think this year, Jeffrey Simmons has probably been a better player than Chris Jones, maybe. But overall, Jones is a better player. Aaron Donald is in a different world of both of them. Like, he is another level above any other interior defensive lineman. And Donald going up against those guys throughout this game, on its own, has the chance to destroy 
anything the Bengals want to do in offense. We've seen Donald do that to teams in the past, whether it's Seattle. We saw him do it to Arizona this year. Donald can have those kinds of games. And if it was just him, like if it was a, you know, if their defense was an Atlanta Falcons type of defense where it's just Aaron Donald up front and nobody else, it would be a problem. It would be the single biggest thing Cincinnati has to concentrate on. But this year it isn't. Like this year you do have Von Miller on the outside and you have other guys that can bring pressure. So even if they figure out a way of limiting the damage that Donald can do, there are other players that can step up and win those one-on-one matchups and continue to, to cause real problems for them. So they've had two weeks to try and craft the game plan that you know eliminates Aaron Donald or mitigates the kind of damage that he can do. And again, we've seen teams do that in the past. Like if you really work at it, you can kind of take Aaron Donald out of the game, <clears throat> but I don't know if you can do it and remove Von Miller and Leonard Floyd and you know everything else they've got bringing to the table. And I just think like that seems like a thing that the Bengals are going to be battling against all the way through this game. So the, the thing about Donald, too, I know we talk about him a ton here on the podcast because he has been just absolutely special, 93.5 grade this year, and also the most valuable... Uh, I, I want to get to the most valuable stat that I have here for, for the Rams in a minute, but uh, the Rams move Donald around, too. As you said, they've, they've got two weeks to craft a game plan, and they've shown that they're willing to do that, right? When they played the Bucks a couple weeks ago, Aaron Donald was lined up against Josh Wells, who was filling in at right tackle for Tristan Wirfs at times. Vaughn Miller was there at times. Leonard Floyd was there at times. Remember our interview with Joe Thomas, uh, the future Hall of Famer for the Browns. Uh, when we interviewed him, he was, as an offensive lineman, he was so in tune with what his opponents were doing. Well, think about mm -hmm. what the Bengals' offensive linemen have to prepare for. They have to prepare for Aaron Donald, who is unlike anyone else, and Von Miller. And, but they have all of their linemen have to block all of these special defensive linemen from the Rams, and the Rams are willing to move those guys around. So uh, it's going to be a massive mismatch. Did you know, Sam, three of the five most valuable non-quarterbacks this year using PFF War, three out of the top five are all on the Rams? Uh, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and who's the third? Cooper Cup, not on just the defense. But oh, on the of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so they have three of the five most valuable non-quarterbacks. And uh, again, last year at this time, the, the story I thought was great was how will the Chiefs react if their offensive line gets torched? We'll, we'll talk plenty this offseason. How will the league react if the Rams win? How will they react if yeah. they win this with the superstar-laden team? And again, three of the five most valuable non-quarterbacks on this team. How much is the copycat league going to, you know, copy try to copy what the Rams are doing but on the defensive side of the ball we talked a lot about it. it's a Donald and Jalen Ramsey defense and then they added Von Miller to the mix it's uh it's fun just from like a storyline standpoint how this Rams defense has been constructed yeah I mean the funny thing about it is so we talk about this problem area on the offensive line for Cincinnati it it, it has been a problem I don't want to say that it hasn't but the Bengals and Joe Burrow haven't been under pressure in the playoffs as much as you might think they have, given how those games have gone, you know, given the nine sack game and the, the, everyone can remember the play where he escapes Chris Jones twice in the same play to, to pick up a first down. You know, they've, uh, they've given up pressure 34% of the time throughout the postseason, which is significant, but it's not like it's not automatically crippling. Um, I, their problem is that when they give up pressure, it's bad, right? And this is where facing an Aaron Donald and a Von Miller becomes a massive problem because you know, you've been talking about how you've got to prepare for those guys. 
Like, there's no preparing for an Aaron Donald, right? He is different to every other player you're going to face. He's faster. He works at a different speed. He's got freakish strength. I mean, John Johnson, we'll, we'll hear him later, is talking about this guy. You know, he's undersized for that position, but that makes him, like, quick as a cat, and he runs DB drills. Like, he doesn't do <laughs> defensive tackle drills. He's doing different things. So, like, how is Adenogy or Jackson Carmen supposed to prepare for that during the week, right? There's... There's nothing you can do until you're literally lined up against Aaron Donald, at which point it's too late because by the time you figure out what you're doing, he's already three yards behind you bearing down on Joe Burrow. And it's a similar story for Von Miller. Like that guy has rare freakish uh, burst and bend off the edge and, you know, that ability to get around guys and cause problems. Again, there's just there's simply no preparation they can do for that on an individual level, like as a team. You can prepare for, like, what is our contingency? Like, let's assume these guys get their ass kicked because why wouldn't they? What can we do in terms of help, in terms of chip blocks, in terms of alignment, in terms of play calling, all those kinds of things? Like, what is the damage limitation that we can do here? Because, like, man for man, the, the right side of that line is just overmatched. Well, so I think that's where the answer is. And this is you know, when I've been asked this week, you know, what, how are the Bengals going to handle this? I, I think you handle it through the pass game, through getting rid of the ball, getting the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. This is where it's tricky, though, and why I say the Rams are probably the best defense. I mean, they are the best defense the Bengals are going to face here on this playoff run. The Rams are good on the back end as well. It starts with Jalen Ramsey. You've got Darius Williams on the outside. Uh, they do a really nice job. They like to play a lot of zone, though. So you can get the ball out of Burrow's hands quickly. The Rams, from a team-building standpoint, purposely do not value linebackers. They do have some weaknesses there as far as coverage goes. So the answer to Aaron Donald and Von Miller is getting guys open quickly. And that's where I'm wondering if it's not so much a Jamar Chase game. You'd love to have those. You'll take some shots. You run some play action and try to get some shots down the field to Jamar Chase. But we saw the Chiefs take him out in the first half last year, last week, two weeks ago. Is this a T. Higgins game, a Tyler Boyd game? C.J. Azama, you know, expected to play, but he's been hurt. But I think it's a, it's a quicker passing game for the Bengals, um, in part because that other stat that we always talk about was Joe Burrow. 26% of his pressures turn into sacks. That is a, a huge number, which backs up your point. It's not the pressure rate that has been crazy for the Bengals. It's how quick they get, get in and how much those get converted to sacks. That number was better against the Chiefs because Burrow created some incredible plays. So getting rid of the ball quickly, a couple magic plays from Joe Burrow, they're going to need all of that, I think, to mitigate the pass rush. Yeah, the, the sack rate is, is so much higher than the pressure rate relative to everybody else in the postseason. Um, the other thing that might be a really big schematic thing for Cincinnati this week is screens. Um, you know, screens are typically one of those ways that you can try and mitigate pressure up front. You essentially deliberately turn those guys loose right instead of trying to block them you kind of pretend to and then pitch them upfield and then dump the ball over that first wave and try and pick up yards that way the rams are not a great defense this year against screens they give up significantly more yardage they're much worse in epa per play allowed as a defense against screens it will get the ball past guys like aaron donald and von miller and it will also get the ball sort of in front of or like target isolate those linebackers that are not good, right? That aren't very good players and are deliberately sort of, there's, there's no resources plowed into that area from a, from a Rams point of view. So if they can use the screen game and particularly if they're clever about it to do those, 
you know, you see there's obviously just a basic running back screen, but there's also these sort of, you know, fake the screen one side, dump it the other side. If they can play around with it a bit and sort of dump the screen to the side that doesn't have Jalen Ramsey on it, then you can start, I think, getting pretty clever and isolate, you know, like who would you rather essentially put the ball in front of with a little bit of space to work on the blocker out in front? Would you rather attack Jalen Ramsey or, you know, like Troy Reader, right? Yeah. Like find the weak link, get the ball in Joe Mixon's hands in front of that weak link and try and exploit that. And if you can get the hell away from Jalen Ramsey at the same time, all the better. Ramsey's a monster against screens because he is like a linebacker playing corner the way he takes on yeah. blocks and, and blows he's them better up. than their linebackers against those things. Like he, he is. So that it's a great point because uh, that's how they got Samaj P. Ryan into the end zone uh, against the Chiefs with the screen game, and the, the the running backs for the Bengals have done a nice job catching the ball out of the backfield. Joe Mixon, they're good P. receivers. Ryan, yeah, uh, Chris Evans, the rookie, has 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 he's pretty good in one on one situations too. So I, I think that's it. So. People are asking me about prop bets and, you know, would you take Cooper Cup or would you take Jamar Chase? I really think the Bengals are going to have to not rely on Jamar Chase as much and, and rely on the rest of their weapons, whether it's the backs um, or those, you know, those other wide receivers. Um, I want to wrap up the Bengals offense in a minute here, but this is the moment we've been waiting for since September. It's here in honor of the big game. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. So you bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. You bet just $5 you get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official. Sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Got to be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, I know uh, Dr. Eager over there has talked a lot about the early down running game for both teams and mm. how he's leaning under here. Are the, are the Bengals, in my head... The Bengals are better off when and they turn it over to Joe Burrow, right? And we always reference yeah. that Ravens game and that Chiefs game where they just said, we're going to chuck it around the yard, and he goes for 500 yards per game, weeks 16 and 17. However, do you have to keep this Rams defense off balance enough with the run game? Even though it doesn't make sense analytically and you, know, you don't want to just pound it into the – you know, into the defense for, you know, on first and second down over and over again, how much do you need to slow down this pass rush just by making them do different things? And, you know, is that going to be, or do, do the Bengals just turn it over to borrow? Say, Hey, we're going to throw it 40, 45 times. It's your game to win. We got to keep up and score a lot of points here. Yeah. It's tough because it feels to me that in the bigger, the situation, the bigger, the, um, the kind of the chance of, the bigger the consequences of failure it feels that the default position of zach taylor is always to get a little bit conservative and skew in the direction of safety running the ball right the the old school type of thinking and i know that like that's despite them literally turning the ball over to joe burrow in those couple of key games late in the regular season where he just balled out through for like you know 500 yards a game and was the reason they were winning those games but in my mind, you know, with two weeks to prepare and think about it and overthink about it and analyze and knowing that you're going to be overmatched on that offensive line, 
I, I just think we're going to see this really steady Joe, dose of Joe Mixon on first downs again. And that an almost constant in the AFC championship game. And it's just they if they're going to do that, they need to find a way of being way more successful at it than they have been. Right. Which is possible. Like they they can get more creative with the run plays that they are calling. They can uh, do some things like Joe Mixon is a talented runner. So it's it's possible. But if they're going to do what they did last time and just keep feeding them those first down carries and obvious first down carries, I think that is a mistake and going to cause some problems, even if it is potentially removing some of those snaps where, you know, Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller are getting free rushes of the quarterback. I think you have to understand that that's going to be a problem and figure out another way of dealing with it. I don't think that running the ball on those first downs is the way to deal with it. Now, it maybe you play with the balance and you start passing a bit more in first down, but you offset it with a bit more running uh, surprise runs, essentially later on in downs and second and third down. But I think that's an area that could easily cause Cincinnati some problems if they if they skew too conservative because we're in the Super Bowl. Like, you know, you get those games every now and again, or not every now and again, quite regularly in the Super Bowl where it's such a big game, and not just in the Super Bowl, but other sports as well. Like, you know, Champions League finals and soccer and European, like World Cup finals where it's such a huge game and the consequences of losing or so, it's, you know, it's it's everything or nothing. So the game sucks for the first half, right? Because yeah. everybody, nobody wants to do anything. You tighten and it up. Everybody plays and, hyper-conservative, yeah. and nobody actually takes any risks. And that feels like the way they're going to want to go. And I don't know if the game gets away with them and the game flow sort of forces them out of that or if they're able to maintain that for like a huge amount of, of time because the same thing is true on the other side. But it wouldn't shock me at all if they come out and we have this very conservative game plan from Cincinnati, certainly early. Well, because a lot of the thought process, is, as as cool as Joe Burrow is, and as as well as Matthew Stafford has played in crunch time and all that, uh, there is the human element to this, right? Where these guys, you know, they're going to come in. Remember John Madden, rest in peace. John Madden used to chuckle when Brett Favre would make, you know, his first pass would be overthrown by like ten yards. He's like, "Oh, that Brett, you know, he's just so uh, he's just so jacked up. He's just so excited. Just loves football." I think coaches look at that and they're like, I, I got to let Joe get settled into the game. Give him a couple handoffs. We got to, you know, and then eventually, yeah, you're right. Like the second half things open up a little bit. So that'll be interesting to see if that's how both teams view this. I want to transition to the Rams offense. Um, but first coaches, I want to talk about the coaches for a second here. Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor. I think Zach Taylor's taken some heat early in the year for conservative, you know, being too conservative as far as running the ball. I think he's made other uh, pretty good fourth down decisions along the way. I think the the pinnacle of Zach Taylor's de decision making was that Week 17 Kansas City game where he held the ball at the end of the game, didn't let the Chiefs get the ball. The 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 McVay factor though, I think he got away with some stuff, man, in the NFC Championship. He blew a two lot. challenges, didn't have a timeout at the end of the game. Very rarely do you have a one score game where the timeouts don't matter at the end of the game, and they didn't matter at the end of the NFC Championship. But McVay. He was, he's like an emotional challenge guy, right? I mean, he's just like, yeah. this is, if if we get this play, we'll get the ball back or we'll get momentum or we'll get 30 yards of field position. He just chucks the flag without even getting a replay. That stuff comes back huge. If McVay has this early second quarter challenge for like two yards or something like that, those things come back to bite when you don't have enough challenges or you're wasting your timeouts. And I think that also could be a, a huge key in this game. 
McVeigh is really fascinating. It isn't just him. It's actually, you know, Kyle Shanahan is similar. But these yeah. coaches that are objectively incredibly smart, right, from a schematic point of view, like the things that they're doing on offense, this this uh, sustained success that they've had, the um, consistent, like, domination and, and recycling and iteration of the offense and coming back kind of masks the fact that they do a lot of bad things in the course of the games, whether it's challenges, whether it's uh, – when to go for it or not on fourth down, whether it's, it's clock management late in the game, like those two in particular butcher a lot of that stuff. And, you know, McVeigh's also had this this history of he's been in this game before. And when he rolled in the last time, like was was almost sort of surprised and over, over uh, surprised and I guess uh, caught out by what the Patriots came in with in terms of the game plan. I didn't really have an answer for it. Um, so if Cincinnati dials something up that's different to what the Rams were expecting, does he have that built-in adjustment? Like, is he, or is he going to be shocked again? And we're just going to see them, like, uh, panic, right? Like, this is actually an, an underrated part of this game, I think, is you look at it and you say, obviously, Sean McVay is the better coach of these two, right? Even if, um, you know, I, I talked to Benjamin Solak in the Daily, and we were sort of saying that, like, there's an understanding, right, that, Zach Taylor may win coach of the year because it's generally just like how much did you overachieve your your preseason win total by? But there's like an understanding everywhere that it's not him driving this, right? It's like Joe Burrow's amazing. Uh, everything else is going well. And Zach Taylor's the guy kind of riding the coattails and riding it all the way to a coach of the year honor, potentially. Um, so there's, there's like this sort of, if you asked anybody, like who's the better coach here, even if one guy is going to win coach of the year, like everybody else would say Sean McVay's the better coach. But when you get to one game in a Super Bowl and you say, which which one of these guys is likely to make a bigger screw-up? Like, it might be McVeigh. Now, we, I just talked about Zach Taylor potentially spending the entire first half just running the ball into a brick wall on first down, right? You could argue that's as big a mistake as anything McVeigh can do. But it, it is, I think, an underrated and understated aspect of this that, like, this might be a lot closer than people think in terms of, like, which one of these guys is going to have a negative impact for their team in this game. Yeah, I agree. Plus, plus you have Zach Taylor. He's running around town handing out game balls and everything. He was down at my local burger joint and Zips. Oh, yeah? Dropped off a game ball when I was there last Saturday. He's, you know, so Zach's he's a man of the people here in Cincinnati. Did you give him, like, a wave? Did you say hi? I Sorry, he was, he was there before I got there. Like, I was on my uh, way to Zips, and I was seeing okay. on social media that I was looking for the game ball when I got there. Yeah. But uh, he's been going around town here. Uh Right, halfway between where you and I live, over Mount. He must live over in Mount Lookout because he's always over there. Ah, that's a that's a rough road. You don't want to be on that. Yeah, a lot of well, potholes and stuff. I don't like driving it, that road. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't take care of the roads all that well over here in Cincinnati. Anyway, no. um, Zach Taylor, man of the people. I want to get to the Rams' offense, but you know my uh, my favorite poem: "Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you, Sam. Don't don't do it. It's February tenth, Valentine's Day. It's right around the corner." Our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This, this V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, with our exclusive offer. It's over at manscapes.com. Use the promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Let's be serious here. You know, we've been talking about this for a while. They're up to the 4.0. They've got the performance package, which has more than just the lawnmower. All sorts of great stuff in the Performance Package 4.0. It's just the thing you need for this Valentine's Day. If you've been waiting, it's time. Because they're proposing to make February 13th National Shave Your Balls Day. That's what's going to happen. 
the day before Valentine's Day. Manscaped created their products just for you for a night like this. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code P uh, PFF. It's over at manscapes.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. And don't forget, your date's also going to say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Don't forget, they Of course. I mean, that's, that. the, that's, what we're, that's what we're aiming for here. That is the Everyone guarantee. Everyone wants that compliment. Promo code PFF, manscapes.com. All right, let's do the when the Rams have the ball section. Okay. Um, I want to start with this. We've talked high level about is today's defense less about what your scheme is and more about how you can adjust. I, I mean, I don't think we've – the Bengals did such a good job shutting down the Chiefs offense in the second half again. And and I think they came – I don't want to say they came out of their comfort zone, but they said hey, we're going to we're gonna rush three a little bit more. Like They did change a little bit, and they executed better. Are the Bengals this opportunistic defense – that is just gonna they're gonna find the weaknesses. Maybe they'll maybe it'll take them a little bit of time, but they'll find the weaknesses in the Rams offense. They'll make their adjustments and make life difficult for this Rams offense. Cause I think that's what the Bengals have done pretty well during this playoff run. Yeah, I, I think adjustments will be a big part of it. I think the other thing that's key is third downs. Um, you know, this Bengals defense isn't great, but it was really, really good on third down against the Chiefs. And the Rams offense on third down in the NFC championship was unstoppable right it was just anytime they needed a third down conversion we're getting a pass to cooper cup and we're picking it up or we're scoring a touchdown or whatever like he had 100 yards and two touchdowns just on third downs in that game that's insane so the Bengals, i think have been really good at making adjustments remember that game was also the like prison rules officiating game right where True. it became pretty clear that after like two minutes um that the, the officials just weren't going to call anything right and it was going to be an absolute free-for-all and the Bengals did a really good job of adjusting to that. Um, and they started to get much more physical with the Chiefs receivers. They were beating them up. They were getting grabby, you know, but grabby enough that you can, like, it wasn't going to get called in that game. So they started to take advantage of it. Mike Hilton in particular was really good at getting physical, making sure that his guy wasn't going to get separation. And that was a big part of why they started to make some of those third down stops. Um, is that going to happen are they going to be able to get away with that? Or can they achieve the same thing against Cooper Cup? Because, you know, when you start talking about who the best receivers in the NFL are and all those kinds of things, I think Devontae Adams is a better receiver top to bottom than Cooper Cup. But the Rams, the difference, one of the difference between the two of them is the Rams make it almost impossible for you to take away Cooper Cup the way you can with other receivers, like with a true X wide receiver that lines up on the outside that is um, impressed coverage a lot that you can sort of bracket or double team, all those kinds of things. Because Cup spends all of his time, most of his time in the slot, it's, you know, off coverage, it's free releases into the secondary, it's isolating him on a safety. And it's really, really hard to scheme that away the way you can for other elite receivers. So, you know, are the Bengals able to figure out a way of attacking that? Because you know, in the, in the NFC title game and basically every game this year, the Cooper Cup had 1,400 yards from the slot this season, in <laughs> the regular crazy. season, right? Which is and, like and 700 even, more than anybody he, else. He's, he's about 60% from the slot, but even when he's not in the slot, it's usually in a tight Stacked split. and stuff. Yeah, so it's like, it's essentially, you've got two-way goes, right? right? And, and so they do a good job of scheming Cooper yeah, Cup. Yeah, but like, right. 
he had almost like 700 yards more than anybody else from the slot. It, like it's so hard to take him away, and that because of that, it's just a it's just a free third down pickup anytime they need one, right? Okay, here's Cooper Cup. We're gonna give him a two way go from the slot. That's eight yards done. Um, so they're they're so good at that. I think that's one of the biggest things is is Cincinnati needs to a figure out how to deal with that and b have that kind of success on third down because that's where they were able to shut down Kansas City in the second half. Did you see the breakdown Coach Vass, Vass did? Um, he was kind of showing how the Bengals would, would, would take their too high coverages and just alter the rules a little bit based off alignment to essentially take away Tyreek Hill. Um, right. So, so, the, so the play call might be quarters or, the, or it might be cover six or, you know, it's a simple play call. But if Tyreek Hill was outside versus in the slot, they were able to alter their help. And this is against the Chiefs team where you wanted to do that against Tyreek and against Kelsey. That's what happened against the Chiefs last year with the Bucs, too, where you just they focused on those two. My point here is I think the, the Bengals have showed that, hey, they're they do might they they may they might have those answers. They didn't have them all that well in the first half, but they did get there, right? They did um once the offense showed their hand, so to speak, the script was over. Okay, here's where this guy's this is where Tyreek Hill's gonna line up. Here's how we're gonna make sure that we always have help for him. So that's why I do wonder, even though it sounds like this game could start slow, maybe the Rams scripted up really well, and then the Bengals are able to to fight back and say, okay, we're taking Cup away. Because again, the third down numbers, you cited them on our review podcast, they were insane. I mean, that's where Matthew Stafford's going, is to Cooper Cup in crunch time. And if the Bengals are able to make that adjustment, adjustment, how quickly do the Rams fire back and say, okay, this... We need to get OBJ isolated on the outside. I mean, OBJ's do, done a really good job on vertical routes on the outside, dig routes. You'll get a couple of those open here and there in this game. But I wonder if OBJ ends up the same way, you know, maybe Jamar Chase gets taken out. Do the Bengals do a good job slowing Cooper Cup down, puts more of the onus on OBJ. And a greater storyline, right? I mean, that's part of their, part of their hashtag all-in move was to get OBJ and see if he becomes a star here in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important part of that, uh, the Ram story that that, you know, Robert Woods goes down, potentially a devastating injury for them right at the same time they pick up OBJ. It took him a little bit of time to get acclimatized and get cooking, but now he is a significant part of this offense. And if they do figure out a way of rolling all the coverage and attention towards Cooper Cup, OBJ could could be a really important part of this game. Um, right. Let, we got to we got to talk Stafford, right, because that's, that's yeah. everything for the Rams. So we got Stafford's legacy on the line here. We've got his Hall of Fame discussion on the line here. Uh, going back to our preseason prediction, at least mine, I said Stafford's going to have a career-high grade and his production's going to be probably better than ever. Right now, production's better than ever. Whether you're breaking it down with EPA or passer rating or yards per attempt, it's all up there. And with this playoff run, he has finally gotten up over the 85 PFF grade mark, so it is a career-high for Stafford. I think he's played really well. Um, the Bengals defense has been, they, they've been able to turn the ball over on this, on this playoff run, right? You had the couple, three interceptions by Ryan Tannehill. You had two interceptions by Patrick Mahomes. Is Stafford going to throw the ball to the defense once or twice? He threw the ball to Jaquiski Tart, who dropped it in the 49ers game. So a lot of Stafford narrative stuff here, but man, I like the way He's playing right now outside of a couple throws per game. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna have a good game here. Yeah, the, the Stafford stuff is interesting, right? Regular season Stafford, 
basically the same as Detroit Lions Stafford, right? PFF grade was basically in the same place. The stats were better because the situation around him was better. Um, but remember, late in the season, he had that run where he was having committing an absolute ton of turnover-worthy plays. And we're like, this is exactly the same guy. Um, and at the time, you're like, if he plays like this, they're not winning a Super Bowl. The question is, can Stafford catch fire and go on a run? Because he's absolutely capable of doing that. So far in the playoffs, that's what's happened. Stafford has elevated his game. Doesn't mean he's played perfect, right? The, the play to Jaquiski Tart. He threw the ball to a, a Buccaneer safety in the end zone the first quarter, but it, it was early, so nobody remembers. And he didn't, they, again, they didn't catch it, so nobody remembers. Outside of those two plays, really, he's played very well. And he has played better than he played in the regular season. And again, if Stafford does that in this game, it's going to be difficult to beat the Rams because that is, that's kind of a level of play that they were wanting or banking on when they made the move for Matthew Stafford. He's making the throws that Jared Goff probably wouldn't be making and coming up with those big plays to Cooper Cup at key times. You know, late in the game against Tampa Bay, the bomb touchdown wins the game, right? The third and 18 or third and 13 or whatever it was against San Francisco converts that to a a corner touchdown to Cooper Cup. These are the plays that they need him to make, and they've been winning games in the playoffs because of it. Um, but it does become interesting because of what you said with how well the Bengals have been disguising and adjusting coverages with their safeties and things. Remember, Jesse David or Jesse Bates rather is on a tear of you know jumping in front of plays and making grabbing interceptions. The the Ryan Tannehill pick where they. Saw the play coming. Jesse Bates jumps in front of it, grabs an interception right at the start of that game. He's been on a tear of doing that. The Bengals are playing that kind of scheme anyway. When you look at Stafford's grades this year against those kind of rotated coverages, right? If you just look at it in terms of middle of the field, open or close. So essentially, are they playing with a single high safety or two high safeties, a split look, an open field type of look? Um, when the team plays something different post-snap to pre-snap when they when they disguise if you like or rotate the coverage post-snap Stafford's passing grade drops to 68 and he has almost the same number of turnover worthy plays as big time throws so 10 turnover worthy plays 12 big time throws five interceptions five touchdowns like relative to the rest of his game those are terrible numbers for Stafford and those are the kinds of coverages that the Bengals are going to need to run and try and sort of bait Matthew Stafford into one of those mistakes. And that that becomes the Stafford discussion in a nutshell, right? As we've seen in the regular season, he's still capable of imploding and throwing the ball to the defense and pitching the ball for a pick six and all these kinds of things, right? Classic Stafford meltdown plays. In the postseason, he's had one in each of the last two games and gotten away with them. How does that play out in the Super Bowl? Do we get completely clean Stafford game? Do we get one meltdown play? Or do we get multiple? And like, I mean, honestly, those are like, that's the, that might be this entire game in a nutshell. If he's a clean game, the Rams win. If he has one, the Rams probably win. If he has more than one, the Bengals win. Yeah, Sam, look. That's that is Stafford, right? I mean, it, let's let's not over maybe we do need to oversimplify this. So during the season you just don't know when it's going to show up right he has two right. games with four turnover worthy plays this year he's got two games with three turnover worthy plays this year he's got three more with two right you just don't know when they're going to show up he also has the games that uh you know famously he he posts 90 plus pff grades which is you know one of the and usually when those games happen 
it's not it's it's Stafford making special throws. It's like Cooper Cup on the crossing route and he puts it just over the defender. But it's also like the no look stuff and just everything just feels great for Stafford, right? He's feeling it. He's making every single throw. Uh, ironically, his two best passing grades did come against Arizona, one in week 14, one in the wildcard game. Um, and, and he had two really good games against San Francisco from a grading standpoint too, even though they uh, one was the conference championship game. So um, two of his five best passing grades have come here in the playoffs. So does he continue that trend? Or like week 16 against Minnesota, did anybody see that coming? He, he put up a four, Stafford puts up a 42 grade, you know, he's throwing it to Anthony Barr, four turnover where he plays, three actual interceptions. Nobody, like, saw that game coming for Stafford. It's just out of the blue. Right. Sometimes he has just a really rough day. But also, like, so, you know, two games with four turnover-worthy plays. Like, Joe Burrow has none this season. Joe Burrow only has one game with more than two turnover-worthy plays. Right? He had one, three turnover-worthy play game against uh, Green Bay in Week 5. Like, he, most of his games are either zero or one turnover-worthy play. He's got two games with more than one turnover-worthy play this season. Like, Burrow relative to Stafford in terms of putting the ball in harm's way this season has been not even in the same ballpark. So, like, that is a real concern. You're talking about a guy, Stafford, with this, you know, number one overall pedigree, just like Burrow, uh, a guy who's got been in the league for almost 15 years who there has been this loyal cabal of fans that are like Matthew Stafford's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. That guy's top three. He's incredible. He's as good as anybody else. Um, but you would have more confidence in Joe Burrow. I would anyway in this game. Like I think a lot of people are going into the Super Bowl looking at Joe Burrow, the guy who's, you know, only two years into his career, who's first, you know, playing in his, his first sort of playoff run, uh, is inexperienced, if you like, relative to all of this, and say, like, that guy's less likely to screw this up. The you're, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the Burrow perception, and that might be overrated too. I mean, Burrow tried to throw the ball away twice in the fourth quarter. I've bought into it. I buy into Joe Cool and the fact that he always finds a way. But um, he did try to throw the ball away twice in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. Who got away with one of them. Um, here's the other factor: uh, Matthew Stafford against the Blitz. So it, it's again, football's not as simple as Matthew Stafford's good against the Blitz. Never do it, right? I mean, you always have to. <laughs> You always have to mix things up a little bit. And not every blitz is created equal, right? Some blitzes are better at attacking protection. Some are overload blitzes. Some are seven-man rushes. Some are five-man rushes. With you know, there's, there's different things in this blitz category. But the difference in numbers are just astronomical. If we're talking about how are you going to force Matthew Stafford into errors, right? It's actually not by speeding him up and blitzing. His turnover-worthy play rate is almost 3% lower against the blitz than it is just against a traditional three or four man rush. So uh, that's the first thing. PFF grade is 90.5 against the blitz compared to 78 against no blitz. Passer rating 131.5 against against the blitz versus 96.8. I'm sure EPA matches that as well. So how do you handle that if you're the Bengals? Like I said, second half against the Chiefs, even in the first half, a lot of three man rush, a lot of here's what we need to do to slow down this Chiefs offense. Um, and we also have Stafford, you know, the Bucks didn't get these numbers, man. You know, they blitz, they go zero blitz with the game on the line and no timeouts in the divisional round, and Stafford throws it up to Cooper Cup because that's, you know, that's that connection. It also puts Cooper Cup 
it takes away all of that advantage that we said the Bengals could have, which is the ability to double cop and, and all that stuff. So the Bengals might blitz them three times, man. I mean, if they're smart, they might yeah. really pick their spots and, and not attack Stafford at all here and trust. And then it becomes, well, you got to get some pressure. Trey Hendrickson's got to have a good game. He's got to beat Andrew Whitworth yeah. once or twice in there. BJ Hill, DJ reader in the middle. So I just want to see if the Bengals are smart. If they, you know, limit the blitz. I, I'm expecting single digit number of blitzes here from the Bengals. Yeah, I, I think that's the way they should play this because the data is saying that the best way of attacking Stafford is coverage, right? Confusing him, rotate your coverages, mix it up, adjust post-snap, you know, just flood the number of guys in, in coverage and try and take away Cooper Cup through sheer weight of bodies around him uh, as much as anything else. And, you know, I said before that Stafford's numbers when against these uh, designed or against these disguised coverages weren't good his grade is like 20 points lower against those than it is when you just show him the same thing pre and post snap. So that's your defensive blueprint for Cincinnati is, you know, play coverage as much as possible, try and rotate the safeties, rotate the look post snap, uh, try and confuse him into an error and take advantage of it when it shows up. Jesse Bates has made those plays so far in the postseason. They, they need him to do it again. And if Stafford has those games, you know, if he has one of those games where he puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times, it's that that could be the difference. Sam, there's some breaking news here. Major League Baseball is going to uh, play pre uh, spring training games without Major League players. Scabs, as they like to call them. And if you're a scab, you never get to be a part of the Major League Players Association. Wow. So Nobody, uh, should, nobody likes the scab players. Nobody. Should I become a scab? Should I go back? I think you should definitely send them the video of you pitching, you know, of you heating it up to 73 <laughs> and see see what kind of offers you get. <coughs> My mechanics look good in a vacuum if you don't know the actual velocity on the pitch. Could you uh, – we've got Tyler and Stone over here. Maybe they could speed the video up and then we can just yes. label it like 92. Yes. Know? I'm just saying this could be my chance to pitch in a Major League Spring Training game. I sat what in a number? Major League Spring Training bullpen – but never right. actually got on the mound. Well, look, what number do we need to put on the video for it to like interest people? We need what ninety five? Is that what we need no, to get I to? Mean, like, we're talking like, look, scabs are still minor league players, and if anybody has a chance of making it to the big leagues, they're probably not going to want to step in to these games because you you don't get to be in the players association. You don't get those benefits. So yeah, I think it's like eighty eight to ninety. We'll probably get you okay. to this like reasonable so I'm not, level. Like, I'm not even joking now, right? Can we find that YouTube video and like speed it up and just write 93 over it, and we'll post it from the uh, we'll post it from the the podcast Twitter account and see how yeah. good it looks. And we're gonna and we'll tag, just we'll try and get you a spot. And we're gonna ta we'll tag every major league team yeah. individually, like, at Reds, at, <laughs> at Brewers, MLB. at Giants. Yeah, available. At MLB. Just DM. DMs at open. Rob Manfred. Yeah, DMs open. Send Stephen offer. We're 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 willing to take this now. Football season's winding down. That man will hike his way to any MLB ballpark and, and suit up. And then I'll just go uh, month of February, rest of February and half you know, in March is going to be all PTO for me. I'll take yeah. that time off. Unlimited PTO. You're good. We got unlimited PTO. Uh, great perk here at PFF. So, uh, yeah, I just look not to derail the Super Bowl preview here, but that information has just come in. And uh, I'm just saying my uh, my career options maybe just expanded a little bit here. I mean, I, I yeah. just want to see that video now of what that looks like sped up to like 1.8% 1.8x or whatever. My 40th birthday next month. I think I'm right in my prime. Um, anyway, yeah. So, so what's the what's the prediction here? I mean, 
look, we got to talk legacy stuff here. No People are going to come out of this with like Stafford's a Hall of Famer if he makes the move. Finally got out of Detroit. The Rams are geniuses. Or the other thing is like, if the Bengals win, are we going to have the same discussion that we had with Mahomes and the Chiefs? Like, oh, how many how many tens of Super Bowls is Burrow going to win here in Cincinnati? He's going to win six. He's going to win nine, right? So uh, what's the final prediction? And what is the, you know, what's the storyline coming out of this game for you? Yeah, I mean, to me, the Rams are the better team, right? Top to bottom, they're a better side. They have the biggest advantage in terms of Donald versus that offensive line. I, they should win. Like, they're favorites for a reason. They should win. But you've been saying that. I mean, I've been saying that every week, right, for the Bengals. They've been the underdog for a while now, and all it takes is one more of those games. And as I say, if you're picking, like, which one of these quarterbacks do you have more faith in, I, I'm buying the Joe Burrow thing, right? Maybe, again, maybe it won't sustain year on year on year. Maybe we're not talking about the next Tom Brady or Joe Montana. But for right now, I'm in that Joe Montana mode of I don't care what he's done. Like, I buy into his ability to get this done in a close game if that's where it comes to. And I'm not 100% sure I'm buying it for Stafford. I mean, but Stafford's our top-graded quarterback in the fourth quarter this year, too. They both sure. have this it yeah, factor. But I, I, I think he's more likely to, like, to – necessitate the fourth quarter than you know the comeback than burrow is i know burrow has has thrown a couple of uh, in the playoffs but i just have more faith in him not screwing it up for the four quarters yeah first uh, by the way we didn't even mention jamar chase versus jalen ramsey it doesn't get much better than that when they're matched up one-on-one ramsey doesn't always uh shadow but i could see that i mean they they did that a little bit down the stretch with mike evans against the bucks yeah I don't that's think a great matchup him. what's that i don't think they'll shadow him i think they only really do that, the Rams, when it's, you know, a team that has Mike Evans and nothing else, right? If you right. shadow Jamar Chase, it, you know, T. Higgins is open all day. They just have too many weapons. So I think they're going to leave him, you know, leave Jalen Ramsey in the role that Jalen Ramsey's typically in, and we'll see them like a third of the time based off just alignment. So you stole my prediction, I think, because uh, I'm taking the Bengals. And it's it's – I know people tune in for our great analysis all, all the mm -hmm. time. But, I mean, the city's lit up orange over here, Sam. I mean, there, there are pop-up shops with Bengals Super Bowl gear all over the side of the road. It's electric here in Cincinnati. So I'm going with uh, where my heart is. Our, our hometown Cincinnati Bengals are going to – they're the underdogs. They're going to pull off the upset. Um, I obviously could see it go the other way. I could also see one of those games – we always talk about that, like, 40% pressure mark. If Burrow's pressured 40% of the time in this game, I think yeah. they've got no shot. The Donald Bengals. Can win, yeah, Donald can win this game for the – for the Rams. Yeah. We could see an Aaron Donald MVP the same way we did with Von Miller a couple years Agreed. ago, right? Two yeah. or three sacks or whatever. So I, I look, I think the Rams are a better team. I think they've their stars are playing like stars. I think their team building effort has been justified regardless of the result here. A lot of my analysis says the Rams should win. Maybe not cover, but they should win. Um, yeah. but I'm going with the hometown Cincinnati Bengals to uh to win and cover this thing and uh the Joe Burrow legend just uh continues here. And right. it's not a it's not a lost season for the Rams. I think they, I think they were justified in their team building effort. How's that? No, I think their entire ethos rests on this game. All right, it's just this game. So there we go. We're both taking the Bengals. Mm -hmm. uh, great. I'm taking the Rams, but I'll take the Bengals to cover. Oh, okay. You're taking the Rams to win the Bengals. So, yeah. so you putting Stafford in the Hall of Fame on Monday morning? No. Okay. Go check out the PFF NFL Daily. We already did that. Uh, anyway. 
we appreciate everybody for this entire game preview. I'm going to turn it over to Sam because Sam is uh, interview extraordinaire. And we've got John Johnson, Marlon Humphrey, and Amani Oruwariye. I don't even know if that's necessarily the order. But I know that they're all coming up next. And I can't wait to hear what Humphrey had to say about John Harbaugh and analytics. And what John Johnson had to say about OBJ and Baker Mayfield. So I'm out. I'm taking off. Taking the rest of the show off. But hope you enjoy the interviews. And uh, hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. All right, welcome here to Radio Row. Really excited to be joined by John Johnson. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping in, saying hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Rams in the Super Bowl. I'm curious, is there like a little pang of jealousy? Or does that like inspire you for you know getting the getting Cleveland there next year? Uh, it's definitely some inspiration. I wouldn't say jealousy. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been telling people that I was told to leave a place better than when you found right. it. Right. So that's what I'm running with. Um, I wish I could be there with those guys. It's more about like the teammates, let alone like the uh, organization. But I'm happy for them, and hopefully they pull it up. Right. Like happy for the guys that you've just been playing with. See Absolutely. Them, see them get there. No question. Um, I'm really interested because there's been reports now that Eric Weddle is going to be the guy with the green dot, mm-hmm. the guy play, calling the plays on the defense for the Rams. And he's like just in the building, right? They, they signed him for the playoffs only a couple of weeks ago. How big of a deal is that? How hard is that to do coming in somewhere, complete sort of fresh system for him, and like within three weeks, you're the guy given the responsibility for the green dots. He is, well, back in 2019, when he first came, he had the green dot. And uh, that actually opened up the door for me to get it, you know, in 2020. Usually it's a linebacker, right. but he had it at safety. Um, but he's, it's easy for him. He's like the... Professor X of football, like he knows defenses in and out, he knows offenses. So I think it'll be easy for him. I think it'll probably give him like a little bit more responsibility, like to actually go out there and help those guys win. So I like that move, honestly. Cool. Um, Aaron Donald has been like he's the best player in football. Right? He's usually at the top of our PFF one-on-one list, the best players in any given season. He's every year he's winning our Dwight Stevenson Award. That's like our like our NFL Heisman, you know, the take position value out of it. Let's stop giving awards to quarterbacks just for being quarterbacks, just the best player regardless of position. What makes him so good? Well, first of all, he's a freak of nature. I mean, like you see his body um, at that position. You know, he's not like a prototype in size. You know, he's kind of shorter, but that just helps with his pad level. He gets underneath the guys. He's Hercules strong, um, super duper quick. I don't think I've ever seen him do like defensive lineman. He does like athletic defensive back type of drill. So he's super quick, uh, short, strong. And that's just like that position. It's it's so hard to block him. And um, I just think his work ethic, his knowledge for the game, you know, his, his pass rush moves, his hands, he's good with his hands. So all of that into one package is just pretty unstoppable to, to, to deal with. We need to get Aaron Donald some reps on offense, right? You see these plays where they're lining up defensive linemen as a fullback or, you know, some gimmick plays, Cordero Patterson moving around. We need to get Aaron Donald. We need to get him a handoff we need yeah. to, in the Super Bowl. We yeah. need a short yardage, hand him the ball, let's see what he can do. We've seen uh, the Philly special a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah, you know, you never know. It might be some trickery in there, but I think even if he's out there, you know, it'll be a distraction. It'll be a decoy. So that, that is an interesting take. I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, so first year with the Cleveland Browns, you guys were – I guess you were pretty hyped up before the season. Like everybody thought that the Browns were a team. Baker Mayfield was going to have this career year. You guys are going to run. I, my biggest question is, why did the Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield thing not work? I, so I feel like guys that were there previously, you know, that was my first year there. So right. when I got in the building, 
it, it seemed like everything was cool. You know, he was coming off an injury. He looked great. And I had seen him in the summertime, you know, running, running routes and stuff. He looked great. So I'm like, oh, yeah, with Odell is back. You know, everything should be firing. And um, just watching from afar, it seemed like they had connected. You know, they had scored 30, 35 points in some games. Uh, I'm talking about the year before I got right. there. So I'm like, oh, yeah, we should be all, all set, ready to go. And, um, you know, I think just – the production wasn't there. Um, I don't think it was anything like personally going on between them, but I just think uh, he wanted to be in a situation where he could thrive. And I hate that it had to go down the way that it did, you know, with all the social media stuff, his dad getting into it. But, you know, it happened. And um, he's at a, at a point now where he can do a lot of good things for himself. So I'm happy for him. Because it was one of those moves when, when Cleveland made it, it, it made a lot of sense, right? They looked like they finally had the quarterback, the guy that stopped the, you know, the jersey with all those names on the back. It's like, we finally got our guy. Baker Mayfield's it. Now let's surround him with talent. Let's bring in a number one receiver. Let's go after a proven guy like OBJ um, and make sure that he's got guys to throw to. And then it just, it wasn't working. Like, for whatever reason, those guys just couldn't get on the same page. It just didn't function. And it, it didn't feel like it was either, you know, people want to blame uh, Baker, or they want to blame OBJ. It, it didn't feel like it was one guy or the other. It just it wasn't working. Like for whatever reason, the, the chemistry it just it just wasn't producing what we thought it would. That's exactly what it is. Especially like for a defensive guy, maybe an offensive guy could tell you, oh, this week he wasn't in the game plan that much, or right. this week Baker was looking somewhere else. But as a defensive guy, we we wondering what is going on. Like, and then you you see the clips, you like uh, we we just don't know. It's like you said, for whatever reason, right. it was it's fate, you know and. Look, look what's happening now. So so Cleveland now is in this really interesting spot with Baker because, you know, his contract is kind of coming up. They they and they they've almost kicked the can down the road because of this season. Now he plays almost all year with that torn shoulder. From like from your perspective, from the defensive side, are you looking at this guy and being like, man, like his, his shoulders in pieces, he shouldn't really be out there, but he is because he's this great teammate. Or is there like frustration that man, like our, our most important position and the guy like can't really go because of that shoulder? Yeah, it, it was a, it's tough and it's a slippery slope. You know, like I've had a, a, a labrum, a torn labrum, and you know you want to play, you want to go out there, you want to you know give it your all for your team. Right. But at what point, you know, is my production dropping? Um, am I hurting my team? You got to like weigh all of those things, and I think each week presented like a new opportunity to you know, decide, oh, how am I feeling this week? I think him and Coach Stefanski and the, the training staff, they kind of, you know, went through the week slowly. I know some days he didn't really practice. So I think, you know, each week was a different week. And I think, I forgot what week it was, maybe Denver. Um, he actually sat that week out because he said he wasn't feeling too well and stuff like that. Case went in there. We ended up winning that Thursday night game. So I think it just was week to week. But like I said, it's a slippery slope. I, he's a competitor. He wants to be out there. He right. wants to play. But at a certain point, you know, you got to, I think it's internally. I think it's yourself. You got to look in the mirror and say, am I hurting the team? You know, am I putting my best work out there? Because like you said, it's it's contract time. You want to yeah. put your best work out there. So it's just a, a tricky situation, but I'm, I'm, it's over now. And hopefully next year we can get healthy and move forward. Where do you think his level is going to be next year? Because his, his like baseline has been all over the place. He's great as a rookie, struggled the next year when the, sort of everything fell apart in Cleveland then pieced it back together, was really good down the, the back end of the season before you got there. And then last year we were dealing with the th torn labrum. So he's had like <laughs> every year his, his performance has been somewhere completely different. What kind of Baker do you think we're going to see next year? I think you're going to see the best version uh, of Baker. And I, I can speak because, like I said, when I was injured in, in 2019, 
my following year, 2020, that was my contract year as well. And it's a lot of talk. When it's a lot of talk and a lot of buzz, a guy like him, a guy like myself, you want to prove people wrong. You want to go out there and put your best work out there. And this is the perfect time to do it. You know, our defense is, is doing pretty well. We're clicking. We've got a lot of guys coming back. Um, so I think this is like all signs are pointing to have a great year, take us to the promised land and, and go get your money. So I think that's what's going to happen. One of the things that's most impressive about you is that your consistency has been crazy at a position that almost never the grades are in the same year and year because, you know, DB, it's so reactive. You're at the mercy of offenses, of great passes, all this kind of thing. Every single year, though, you seem to be able to put in these really high-end, you know, 85 kind of PFF grade type of years. How how are you able to maintain that level despite, you know, how, how much of a challenge it is playing defense in today's NFL? Yeah, I just think it's a preparation. Um, my, I do the same thing every week, you know. Um, once I get my routine going, I feel good. I know what a team wants to do. Uh, I know what my team is asking of me. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I felt like the beginning of this season, it was kind of slow just getting adjusted getting adapted but once my feet got underneath me and I got my rhythm I you know kind of started feeling like myself um but like I said I think it's just preparation and honestly being surrounded by like other good players and good coaches has helped me out a lot you know they're not asking me to do stuff that I'm not good at you know right. I go out there and just play my game so like you say that consistency is the truest measure of success and you know in this league if you don't produce you're going to be out so I was just uh, keeping that in mind and going from there you got uh you got you know the game the weekly routine are you just you uh superstitious have you got any I'm not superstitious, but uh, I do some things just in case. Like what? What do we got? I take a bath before every game. A bath? A bath before like, every game. Like before you even go to the stadium? Right. Correct. Okay. Like in my hotel or in Cleveland, I actually uh, leave the hotel, go home to my tub and uh, <laughs> go in there, relax for a little bit, you know, put my put my game day fit on and go to the stadium. So that's one superstition. Yeah, yeah. Like we don't call it superstition. Yeah, that's, but that's just got in case. negative connotations. We do it we just in case. Yeah, yeah. We don't like that word, but, you know, things that we do. So that's one thing. And, you know, my, my weekly preparation is pretty much the same thing every week, you know, where it's just whether I'm eating lunch at a certain spot. It's just it's hard to explain, but I, I'm pretty consistent on what right. I do. Yeah, it's just power and routine. Absolutely. Um, so what are you doing here on Radio Row? What are you you got some charity stuff going? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been working with Unified Financial Credit Union. That's out here in L.A. Um, it's been a few years now, and uh, I kept the relationship alive. But uh, they are introducing the cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, for its members and, uh, you know, Bitcoin, that, that mm -hmm. stuff is taking over now. I'm interested in it and I'm trying to, you know, just dive right in. So uh, I have three different charities that I'm looking to donate money to. My sponsorship money to is 43,000. I'm JJ 43. <laughs> so I, I decided that was a good number. And um, but I need the fans, well, not just fans, fans, members and just people out there to vote on how I'm going to distribute the money okay. that I'm giving back. So I got three charities. Um, one is Baby to Baby. One is uh, Cedar Sinai, and one is um, it's a, it's a college group in uh, back in D.C. that I'm working with. And um, the first place charity gets twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Second place charity gets thirteen thousand dollars. Third place charity gets ten thousand dollars. So basically, I just need the fans to vote. I'll handle the rest. Uh, we're going to donate, and um, like I said, it's for the Bitcoin push uh, to the cryptocurrency cool. new thing. And um, yeah, it's a www.unifyfcu.com forward slash help JJ three vote. There we go. www.unifyfcu. 
facebook.com forward slash help JJ three vote. And um, yeah, it's a lot of information on the website and it's just something I want to do one to help give back and two to build my you know relationship with Unify. We got cryptocurrency. I want to get into it. I don't know too much, but uh, like I said, I'm diving right in. You got you got a portfolio right now, the crypto? No, nah, I don't have any in crypto. Me, me and uh, Steve are my podcast partner and he, he came to me like last year, the year before, whenever it was, when, you know, before Dogecoin became the thing, yeah. right? When it was like 0. 0.00008. Okay. Yeah. He was like, we got to get this. So we bought like, you know, tiny sum of the stuff. Right. Went through the moon. He sold out before it went big. Okay. So he made nothing. Right. Right. I made, I got I'm like, I had turned $34 into like about a thousand. And then I, I hung on because it was supposed to go to a dollar. Right. And everyone was like, it's going to go to a dollar. That's where you cash out. Right. And I held on and it's crashed. So it's, it's crashed. Oh, like man. nothing again. But you know, I feel like it's it's safe and I feel like, you know, the more that the more information you can get, you know, the better off you'll be. I feel like it's it's not really high risk. Would you say it's high risk? It depends. I think the Doge, because that's like it's not actually based on anything, mm-hmm. but I think like Bitcoin and mm-hmm. Ether and stuff yeah. or like the things that are actually based on the blockchain or whatever, mm-hmm. I think are more like I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm working uh, again with Unified Financial Credit Union, uh, working on the NFT that I'm putting right. out there. So it's just, I'm trying to stay current, man. There's so much going on. I got enough to worry about with football and they introduce right. all this stuff. We probably just need to put a disclaimer that like, do not follow my financial advice. <laughs> I have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. Like find somebody that does. Don't listen to me. You can't sue me. It's not my call. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Thanks so much for Appreciate doing this. It's been awesome to see you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, here on Radio Row again with Eric Eager helping me interview one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, Marlon Humphrey. Thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You have such an interesting career, right? Because, you know, when I look at Alabama, you know, guys in Alabama, they, they're, they're playing inside-outside a lot, right? And when you came into the league, you were mostly an outside corner. And now you're, you're one of those players where the Ravens, I think – they 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 need you to play everywhere, right? And and you they need you to be to be great. But inside corners is a really hard position to learn. What was that process like for you? Um, it was a process, honestly, that I never thought I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when they first asked me, it was like, hey, we just want you to follow this guy. And then the next week, it was like, we want you to follow another guy. He just so happens to play slot again. And then they were like, I don't know if it was planned all along, but they were like, you think you can learn this? I was like. I mean, I guess I'll try. Um, yeah. So it was a, it was an interesting process, but it's 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 uh it's just different, man. It's it's yeah. it's really different. But I think it benefits if you can be really physical and kind of you know instead of having to put in another linebacker to help with the run, you can you know you see Jalen Ramsey do it a lot now. Um, I don't know if they got that from when I started. I'm just saying. I mean, it was like but, two years. I go Pro Bowl two thousand. But it's so impressive because Jalen Ramsey played slot at Florida State. He played yeah, inside, he right? And like, and Alabama is one of those places so stacked that you have great NFL caliber players like Mika Fitzpatrick playing slot when they're in college, right? Yeah. Most of the time, it's sort of like guys are defaulted outside the guys, third, yeah. and then they learn inside when maybe they're a little older or something. Yeah. But obviously, with with Baltimore acquiring Marcus Peters and like getting him on the outside having Jimmy Smith and guys like that, they needed you inside because you're the best player. Like it's a little bit different though. Right. Because it it was more out of necessity and like they were, they took a gamble, right. And they took a gamble that a player who's a good outside corner can be a great inside corner too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the the inside corner was always like, ah, he's not good enough to start, but we can throw him in there. But it's the narrative has really shifted recently. It's like, you look at Kenny Moore, like he's their best cover corner. He's their best, but he plays nickel. Like, so it's, it's really shifted all around the league. Um, uh, like sometimes your best corner is playing inside. And I think 
or just ways you can, you know, affect the game, I think, a little bit more um, uh, playing that nickel position sometimes, just just depending on the scheme. But it, it's really worked out well, I think, in a lot of different teams. And it, it's really interesting because most teams, even if they have a number one corner that tracks and follows receivers, they don't follow them into the slot. They stay left to right. And then yeah. when the guy goes in the slot, that's how you free him up. That's how you get those free releases. Like, is it – do you have that kind of sense of pride that – I'll follow this guy wherever he goes. Like you can't get him away from me by moving him into the slot because I'll follow him in there as well and cover him just as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's when it uh, can can really get uh, really beneficial uh, when you can do that and you can follow him into the slot. You can really follow him all over the the, the the game, like the field. And whether you're you know manning up or not manning up, you know you can still you know do that. And it's kind of you don't know what what's going on. That, that, that's kind of the. The green light it gives you when, when you can do all that because you don't know where where that guy's going to line up. Do you, do you think that in a funny way, like you don't get the recognition or the credit that you deserve because when you're in the slot, you're going to give up some plays, you know, in terms of numbers, just some coverage, some yards, just some free yards that are schemed up because of that alignment. Whereas corners that are only playing on the outside, you know, the sidelines are friend. They get they can kind of cheat to to the help a little bit. Whereas you get kind of exposed to every route that's out there and you know you don't necessarily have the, the shutdown numbers that some of these other corners do so some guys are looking at you and saying well he's not as good right because he gives up a little bit more yardage like do you think that that in a weird way hurts the credit that you receive as one of the best corners in the league um i don't really uh I, there, there's definitely some tough stuff uh playing that that nickel position and it's I think the stats show up, you know, a lot different was like right. as far as like completions given up and all that jazz. But I don't really, uh, I don't know. I don't really, uh, I'm not too big in the really trying to get the, I, I, don't, I don't really know what recognition, you know, yeah, com, like, comes along with different right. things. I mean, the Ravens, the Ravens clearly appreciate you with the, you know, having signed you to a big deal and like they pay, you know, like they're, they're certainly that, that recognition that the Ravens being one of the smartest teams in the NFL sort of, that that's kind of the deal, right? Like you, defense is sort of this thing, right? Where the best players oftentimes take the crap, you know, the crappy assignments, so that some of the weaker players can take some of the easier ones, and then sometimes the, you know, the the weaker players get better numbers because right. the the stronger players are ones who who take on the tougher assignments. Um, do you think so? Going back to sort of the Ravens, it's one of the smarter teams in the league. I think when you look at this, you know, this year you guys faced so much adversity. Even you ended up getting injured down the stretch. But, like, you know, early on it's, you know, you, you trade Orlando Brown and then the rest of your offensive line gets kind of banged up. Uh, you know, defensively, you know, everybody is sort of, you know, you had Demarcus Peters go down in, in training camp. You had all the running backs go down in training camp. And you guys are sitting there at 8-3. and three. How, how much of that – I mean, John Harbaugh to me strikes me as a guy – who I'd love to, if I was good enough to play, I'd love to play for because he just seems to get the most out of every single input onto a team. Is that, I mean, is that ring true? I mean, is he, I mean, he just seems to me like uh, such a guy who squeezes out every edge. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Cause you know, we were, you know, injury after injury end up being number one in the AFC. More injuries come, Kobe come. We've lost, but, a whole bunch in a row. Yeah. You would have never been able to tell from the the vibes and the atmosphere in the building that that was going on. And so that was a it was a true testament through that highest being number one in the AFC, then being you know lowest in the AFC North. Yeah. It's a true testament to you know the culture, you know Coach Harbaugh and the players really you know all working together um, and, and not really you know getting down after injury after injury. But that that is something that you know I think Harbaugh you know a lot of people you know question the things that you know Harbaugh d does whether it's 
coaching, whether it's going for it. But the one thing that I found out, it took me about four years to really find this out is the thing about him, all he wants to do is win. Mm-hmm. He's never, like, you see some of these coaches and management, you're like, there's no way they were doing that, thinking this is going to help this team yeah. win. This is going to be best for the future. His thing is, it's all coming from a place of wanting to win, no matter what it is. And so that's something that I've really been able to respect um, about him and, you know, kind of what he's doing and how he's going to lead us. Does that help buy-in? Because I feel like there are a lot of, and we're an analytics company, right? Like we, we were the go for fourth downs, we're the go for two type of stuff. And obviously there's a difference between us saying it and your coach saying it is does that help with buy-in in the players where you're like, you know, he's not just crunching numbers on us or not just asking one of his assistants to crunch numbers. He's doing this to help us win. Right. And how, and you guys winning, I mean, you know, the getting paid in the future and all that kind of stuff. It's because you guys are a great football team, right? It's because you guys are always, you know, either winning the AFC North or competing for it. Is that like, if you were thinking about, other coaches in the NFL trying to get buy-in for being more analytically sound or going for more fourth downs is, is that's the message, right? The message is I'm trying to get you guys as much success as possible. Yeah. I mean, I, that that's where all the buy-in comes in. You know, everyone's like, Oh, well, we shouldn't win for two. I don't know. The players aren't happy. And we're all like, we're happy with like every decision. Like yeah. it, it's crazy. If you're like on the sideline, like a lot of times, like, cause usually it's, it's, it's offense. Everyone on the sideline, when it comes up, we're like, go for it. Yep. Go like uh, almost every single instance, like the whole sidelines, like, because we're all like so all aligned. Like, mm-hmm. we know, like, you know, we're a big analytics team ourselves. And probably isn't just like randomly just going, I think we just go over. Like, mm-hmm. all this stuff is like already planned. There's been so many scenarios. I mean, every single Sunday, I mean, Saturday, we go through this whole sheet of just straight analytics. Mm-hmm. We do it in the meetings. Like, we do it so much to where when it comes, you know the scenario, like, should you go for this? Should you not? When should you punt? Like, all these things. And he educates the entire team on all these analytic things itself. So it's like there's so many things that it's, it doesn't come to surprise any of the players whether we go for it or don't go for it, whether we go for two or just kick a field goal, whether we kick – you know, all these things come up already. Mm-hmm. And we've already decided as a team, like, we're cool with this. This is what we want to do. And so when it comes up, you know, the outside looking in, they're like, oh, what is he doing? What is he doing? But – as a team, we're like, you know, we die by the bullet, live by the bullet. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I love about it. We're getting to, uh, to like draft season now. And, you know, when we do this every year, you watch tape on these guys. And every year there's there's somebody that surprises you once they get to the NFL. They're like, wow, I didn't I didn't think he was able to do that or I didn't see this on his tape. Does that happen to you as players? Like if you're watching somebody – when I last watched Jamar Chase last year, you're like, I don't really see a flaw in his game. But I don't know that anybody thought he would be this explosive and this dominant year one. Like when you're watching a guy like that in tape prep for for a game against him, does does he surprise you, or do players like that surprise you when you first see them in person in the game as opposed to like watching the film on them? Yes, J- Jamar Chase is, is like the crazy thing about him is he when you watch his film, he's, it doesn't really look like he's doing anything right. special. Like you just see like oh, okay, he just somehow. Yeah, it's like random all this is good, but yeah, it no, look- no, it, it's great. I was just telling somebody, like, it's like even like guys are like you'll see things like guy lines up outside leverage, a wide receiver's not going to still go outside. He'll still go outside and like still be able to make the play. Like he just does like things that like you can't really say. Like look at Devontae Adams. What does he do well? He's so quick at the line. You look at you know um, Mike Evans. Like what does he do? He jump ball. Like all these guys got all these things they're so good at. Boom! You like every receiver has something there. Jamar Chase is like, there's nothing like crazy. You can say this is what makes him special. It's just like, he just all of a sudden the ball goes up and he's gashing it. And it's so that that's like the craziest thing uh, with him. 
Um, but as far as like me, somebody that, well, Jamar Chase was one, but a guy that I probably just didn't, not that I didn't see him like having success, I just didn't know how he would have it, was, was Minka Fitzpatrick. Cause I knew I played with him, mm-hmm. he played nickel. Yeah. And then I was like, it's gonna be, I always thought like, what are teams gonna try to use him at? Yeah. That's what I always thought about. And I think Miami did it just completely wrong. Yeah. Like a guy like that, you want him to just be able to play free range and just kind of do like he's he can cover, he can do it all, but he's best when he just has a chance to be in a position to just make plays. And so down in Miami, I'm like, what the? I mean, they had him blocking punt, like punt protection, like yeah. doing crazy stuff. And then he goes to the Steelers and they let him do what he's best at. And so that was somebody that I kind of was like, I don't know how. And I kind of knew like, that I mean, it's all about what scheme you're in. What like, yeah. How's I mean, you can put me at freaking safety, put me in horrible spots, and I'll look, you know, bad. I think that's all the NFL is about. So I think Minka was one of one of the guys that comes to mind, just because I was curious as to how teams were going to use him. And I think there's a huge difference between Miami and the Steelers. As a player like that, that's got to feel – it's got to be interesting, right, because you know how tenuous it is, right? Like yeah. if you go somewhere and they play a different scheme than you're expecting or a different – you know, and I think maybe dudes from Alabama I feel like are a little bit better at, at adapting maybe than some other places. But, like, when – it does it does it feel weird that, like – so much of football is how you're deployed, right? Yeah. And, and so much of it is is up to the coaching staff. Um, you're, I think you, you're, you, you're fortunate, obviously, with Baltimore because they're smart and they'll use you well and you've, you've had success. But are there players – you could see around the league players who are, are very talented they are just being misused. Yeah. I mean, you. yeah, and it really sucks. It's like – especially when you know the person. Like, yeah. you're like, dang, and you, you can't – you know, you get in between, you know, whatever they have going on. But yeah. – it's it's it kind of it's good and it's bad. Sometimes you see a team take a guy because they're like, yo, this is the best available guy for us. Mm-hmm. But like you know, like you got it. You can't continue to play the way you guys are playing and use him in this in this yeah. scenario. I mean, you see it all the time. You see, you know, Bashar Perriman like with us. Everyone's like, <laughs> ooh, and then he goes to the Browns. He's scoring two touchdowns on us, and we're like, <laughs> what the crap? Where's this? You know, so it's it, it happens. I mean, so often. Sometimes it happens like within like just a season of a mm-hmm. guy just being used and all of a sudden they're like, man, he was just getting like we saw Douglas. Like mm-hmm. they just pop up out of nowhere. But it's just like and it's not even always just a scheme. It's like how guys are talking to certain guys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, are you building them up or you don't even have to build them up. You just if you're always telling them they're just not a good football player. A lot of times they usually don't end up being a football player. And I know those are like, you know, things not everyone really thinks about. But all that stuff really goes goes into well, play. cornerback is this the streaky thing, right? Like there are very few. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're one of them, but there are very few corners who are really good, like year after year after year. I mean, our grading system is like it's so oscillatory for corners because yeah. it's it's who you face that year. You could run into yeah. the AFC, right. NFC South one year and face Evans and all those you know all those guys in one game in one season. But it's also just like you have to be healthy, right? Corner yeah. is probably the hardest position to play hurt. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you're right. It, it's just so, it's so crazy. The thin line between success and failure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think on the outside here, uh, you know, we don't necessarily get as, 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 you know, uh, acute of a look at it. How much of, how much of your job as a corner is, you know, tape study tendencies, all that kind of stuff to basically know what's coming, like rather than just playing the man head up and having to react to everything he's doing, like how much of a head start can you get in having a pretty good idea what they're going to deploy based off down and distance, game flow, all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's 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 kind of interesting how it works. Like being on such a man man scheme, like you, the the thing that really gets tricky 
with, with me or like the RPOs. Like those, once you once you figure those out, like if they do those or if they don't do those, it kind of like because some teams like I feel like the Chiefs like all their run plays are like manly pat like mm-hmm. so like it gets it gets like this tricky like it kind of messes up the game study because it's like opposite like it, it's just kind of just weird like thing but it, it kind of just depends on from week to week and you know, I talk I like to talk with a lot of guys like other corners in the league like, hey what was he doing when he played against you so I like I like to go like that way and kind of get vibes and get feels for mm-hmm. kind of so I can already kind of be similar to how the guy goes and you know when it comes to like film study you know I'm always I'm like a guy that's always asking, you know, my teammates, like, oh, you see this, you see this, like, let me know. Mm-hmm. Hey, I might jump this one. So it's like, <laughs> it, it, it all goes to kind of just what you see and just repetitive watching uh, a film. But a lot of times when you're playing a lot of man, it, it kind of, I just try to look on exactly how does he run certain routes. I, I do a lot of studying like that. How much of a help is Marcus Peters, man? I, I, I remember oh, him great. in Kansas City and, and I'm just thinking he was the most instinctive player I've seen off when the ball in the air, like he would yeah. come off a guy who oh, uh, yeah. another he was covering somebody and he would right. just like, like the backside of the play, forget his own assignment, yeah. and just go and pick a ball off and stuff. Is he? I mean, it's it's got to be, you know, it's got to be crazy to play with with somebody like that. No, he's been a huge help. You know, we really missed him this year, but you know, there's there's been times. You know, my film study is not nearly as much as as not even close to how good his is, but he he, you know, I go to him like. Hey, I forget. I forget what scenario it was, but I was basically asking like, which you know, what what route are you looking at? Like the most that you think you can get when he's like, all of them. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, but like I, I need like a couple so I can. Yeah. He's like, yeah, all of them. I'm like, no, Marcus. Like I'm being for real. Like I I can't I can't all of them. Is yeah. like I need a couple. He's like, bro, all of them. And I'm like, oh, that was kind of no help. But but he 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 really sees it like that. And like you said, I mean, he will leave his job but usually he takes very high percentage you know guesses and gambles and that that really worked and that have really made him you know who he is so the last thing we got the Bengals now in the super bowl we got joe burrow playing out of his mind what makes what's made him so good this year and are you like looking forward to having a qb like that in the division or is that like oh man i'm I'm looking forward to it i think the, the reason why i'm looking forward to it is because i think what's made joe burrow so good is you know a lot of quarterbacks, you know, and offensive coordinators are all about my scheme, my scheme, my scheme. I think the thing that Joe Burrow does is he just says, I think my guy's better than yours. So for a guy like me, you just got to win your matchup. Opportunities. Um, yeah, a, a lot of opportunities. I mean, he, if you really look at Joe Burrow, he's, he's doing some crazy stuff, but he's doing stuff that, like, is not really – advice you know what I mean like you see this guy playing outside leverage like I'm still throwing him fade you see this guy doing this I'm still throwing it so he just takes a lot of you know when you're when it's working you're like on fire and then you get in those games where like you know this guy was doubling and you're like I'm still throwing it up there and it then gets picked off and it so it, it kind of when you're on fire like like they are right I mean they are smoking yeah. on fire but when it, when it catches up to you it catches up to you but when, when you play them I'm super excited to be in the division with them because now it's you know, I think the Browns will have a, a good boost, too, and it'll be, you know, three hot games in, in the AFC North. Well, that was the thing. Like, Pittsburgh was on the decline, and we're like, okay, what's going to happen to this division? Right. Obviously, you guys have been on top for years. Now, you know, we get we get, we get get the Bengals pop up. So, I'm looking forward to that uh, for a while, Marlon. Thank you for, uh, for for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Yep, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. All right, Sam Monson here on Radio Row, joined by the doctor, Eric Eager, and Amani Oruwarie. Thanks very much for uh, coming and saying hello to us hey, here. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Sure.
it was a, a pretty good year for you this year, right? Six interceptions, uh, five pass breakups, new defense you had to learn uh, after uh, Matt Patricia for your first two years. What was the like, what were the challenges and sort of the, you know, obviously successes on your part uh, with, with uh, joining a team, you know, having a, a new coach and sort of a new vision for the team? And, you know, what, what is the challenging part of that for a player? Uh, it, I don't, it wasn't too challenging. I think, honestly, it felt like a fresh start for a lot of guys. Uh, you know, Coach Patricia was a great and everything, but I just felt like Coach Campbell came in and kind of, you know, uh, gave, gave us a sense of confidence, you know what I mean? Um, and he instilled this culture, trying to change it automatically. Um, but he's been great, man. He's, he played here. He gets it. So he, he understands, and uh, he's relatable. Um, guys love him. So we'll see. Um, but he, he knows that uh, the wins, you know, we didn't get the wins we needed to get, but he knows we got to get back to work. Like he – He's uh, like Dan Campbell is this kind of larger than life cartoon kind of caricature. <laughs> when you look at the media, <laughs> right, it's all about the kneecap biting, the two coffees. But right. what's he like, you know, in the meeting rooms? What's he like on a football level? Like, what does he bring to the table from as a former player? Uh, like I said, he's just relatable, man. He'll, he'll come over there. He'll joke. He's not too serious all the time. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't make it like it's a dictatorship. He's, he's very outgoing. Um, but you can tell he's passionate about it. So when it's time to work, it's time to work. Um, when it's time to play, it's time to play. But, uh, yeah. When you're going through a season like that where you're not winning games, right? But, like, you know, and we talk about betting on these shows. Obviously, you can't, you know, you probably not something you want to talk about. But you guys overachieved expectation-wise. You covered the spread in a lot of games. You were very competitive in a lot of games. Right. Do you, I mean, is that something where you come out? Because I think most people who watch the Detroit Lions this year come out thinking, okay, this team's going to, this team is on the move. Not a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and when you look at the division with the Bears, obviously they're young and they got a quarter. They got they have a coach change. They have a quarterback who's young. The Vikings have a coach change. The Packers might have a a quarterback change. Uh, I, going into next season, I mean, like you guys must have a lot of optimism into this off season, and you know, with a coach that I think probably relates to you guys really well. Like, how how much are you looking forward to this offseason as far as getting yeah. better as a, as a individual player but also as a team yeah well all the other things about the other teams are great and everything but i think just simply off the fact that we know that what we're capable of doing mm -hmm. um we showed it in flashes throughout the season and i think we just want to go back and build on that and i think uh that, that's all we can really do we can't really worry too much about the other teams just got to go back to work but like you said we got an opportunity at hand yeah. and uh we got to make something great. How much is it a, a good thing or a bad thing for you as a corner that in your division, you're dealing with Devontae Adams twice a year, Justin Jefferson twice a year, like some of the best receivers and route runners in the NFL are in that division. You guys see them a ton. Yeah. I mean, look, we know they're challenging receivers. Um, and they're great at what they do. Um, as an individual, you, you as a corner, you got to play with a certain confidence where you want that challenge. You know what I mean? You want to go up against the best so you can play, so you can be playing your best ball. Um, but like you, like I said, man, they're they're great players, and, and we definitely got to have a good good game plan for them when we play them. So. As it's being tested that way, I know there was a corner like James Bradbury when he was in the NFC right. South, and they were facing Evans, Godwin, all those. And then he goes to the NFC East and he's a star because it's not quite as difficult a competition. When you're sort of you're in there, you're facing Stephon Diggs one year, right? You're facing Adam Thielen, and then you sort of as your data is showing, I mean, you're constantly improving, right? Getting that confidence, like it's such a hard position corner, right? Yeah. Because you're beat a lot because yeah. the, the rules are designed yeah. to beat you right. how, how can you speak to like just like the confidence that you gain from you know having to go go against the best uh, and having some success 
Yeah, like I said, when you when you do have some success, it gives you a sense of confidence because you know that you, you are going against the best. But at the end of the day, you got to have your own kind of standard and expectation for yourself to go out there. If you feel like each week you get, get just get a little bit better every single week and towards the end of the season playing your best ball, that's all that really matters, man. Uh, but that confidence uh, is, is real in that corner. You got to have that confidence to go out there and play. It feels like um, the Lions, when they brought in Dan Campbell, they brought in this new regime, they had like a, a multi-year like build, you know, in yeah. mind. The first year was all about the trenches. We bring in Panay Sewell. We bring in the defensive linemen. Exactly. Um, and then going forward, like the next step. What do you, how good do you think you guys are going to be this year? I think we can be as good as we want to be. I think we can be uh, really good. Like you said, Panay, centerpiece for that O-line. Uh, I think... If we didn't have some injuries with Ragnall and other guys, like it would have been a totally different line throughout the year. But um, I think we, you know, we need to go out there, uh, get some more skill players, and, and and just keep building on defense. I think Coach Glenn brought in a great system for us, uh, really plays our strengths. But uh, we, like I said, we can be as good as we want to be. Just guys got to be bought in. That's all it is. Yeah. All one right. last question: Having Aaron Glenn as your coordinator, right? Like a guy who. You, you probably watched growing up, right? A guy who was a, a, fat, a fantastic player. Yep. How much does that, I mean, having having a guy there sort of knows what the, the trials and tribulations of a cornerback is, like how does that affect uh, the way that you and like Jeff Akuda, the guy, you know, that's opposite of you, go about your work? Yeah, it, it helps us out so much because you feel like there's nothing you can't ask him. You know, he, he he's done it all. He's been there. So uh, th there's no dumb question. So to be able to have someone like that, a resource by your side to just pick their brain every single day, it's, it's unmatched. So um, I'm, I'm blessed to have him to do yeah. it for real. Marty, thanks so much for talking to us. Is there anything Thank we can can we plug anything for you? Yeah. Oh, oh you're man, here. Look, you see the AO, uh, yep. the mask on there. I don't know if they got pictures of it, but go ahead. Get some of that. Yeah. That's it. Appreciate all right. That. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you, thanks, man. Mike.